Okay, it's Parsha's Chukas, so uh, famous Parsha, Parsha of Pura Aduma, the red cow, that's how it starts off the Parsha. We also have the uh, death of Miriam um, in, the, in, the, in the Parsha. There's a, on the table there, but then, yeah. That's okay. We have the death of Miriam, um, the story of the water. They ran out of water because when Miriam passed away, the water disappeared because the water was there in the schus, in the merit of Miriam. And that's why you had the whole story with the rock and Moshe Rabbeinu hitting the rock instead of talking to it and Hashem decreeing that him and Aaron shouldn't be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. There's a war with Edom because this week's parsha is very close to them going to the land of Israel, so they needed to go through certain lands. Edom wouldn't allow them to go, so they had a war with him. Then there's the death of Aaron HaKohen, and his merit was that the Yidden had the clouds of glory. And therefore when he passed away, they disappeared and they were attacked by the Canaanite, it says. And then that was that war. And the Yidden complained about the man, the manna from heaven, like they always do, and then there was a whole plague of snakes. Famous story about the snake, the copper snake, that when the Jews would look at it, um, the, the snakes would go away. Um, and then some other wars with Emory and so on and so forth. Okay. But we're going to focus today on the mitzvah of Parah Aduma, the red heifers. Let's have a look at the Torah inside. Have a look at n- n- number one. So the Chumash says the following. By Dabur Hashem Moshe Vel Aaron Lemur, Hashem spoke to Moshe and Aaron saying, Zois Chukas HaTorah, this is the law, this is the Chukah of the Torah, Asher Tziva Hashem Leimor, that Hashem has commanded us, saying, Daber El Bnei Yisrael, speak to the Jewish people, Ve'yikhu Eilecha, they should take to you, they should bring to you, Para Aduma, a red cow, Tamimo, which is perfect, Asher Ein Mum, that has no blemish, Asher Le'ola, Aleha oil, that no yoke has been laid, in other words, they didn't carry anything. What, you, what should you do with this red heifer? You shall give it to Elazar the Kohen, which is Aaron's son. He was the deputy Kohen Godel. You should take it outside the camp. Outside the camp means, you know, in Eretz Yisrael, during the Beis HaMiklosh, when they had the Paraduma. So it was different to all other sacrifices. All other Karbonas had to be shechted in the Beis HaMiklosh. This was shechted specifically outside of the Beis HaMiklosh. And where was it shechted? In fact, it was in, in times of old, in the, in the, in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the Parah Aduma used to be shechted on Harazesim, Mount Olives, which is opposite the eastern wall of the Beis HaMikdash. That's why the Beis HaMikdash, the wall, the eastern wall was actually lower. So when the Koyen shechts the Parah Aduma on Harazesim, Mount Olives, you should be able to see into the Beis HaMikdash. I think it's got something to do with the fact that Harazesim became a cemetery afterwards. Because Mashiach comes and says, I think that the people buried there will be rise up first and that will be a source of purity and so on and so forth. Okay. And Velokach, the Pasuk continues, Velokach, as Lazar HaKoyim Yidoma Be'et Spoil, Lazar HaKoyim should take from the blood, Vehizol, Noichach, Pneol, Moe, Bedaba, Shorop, Omim, and he should sprinkle the blood uh, with its finger seven times towards the Beis HaMikdash. Now, what the Torah is the, describing is the preparation of how the, base, the Paraduma, the Rehefa, was prepared. And it goes into much more detail. We're not going to do everything inside, but it talks about burning the Paraduma, 
mixing the ashes with spring water, bringing it together with some form of plants. The idea was it was all to create a solution of paraduma, which was then used to purify someone who was what we call Tome Mace. Right. Now just to, I know we've gone this before, but just let me just sort of uh, summarize just to give a bit of clarity and context. So in the Torah we have a long list of laws to do with Tumah and Taro, purity and impurity. Um, most Tumahs, now there's all different kinds of purity and impurity at different levels. Most of them are um, purified by going to a mikveh. So some of them are bodily sort of impurities, certain excretions in the body, like a woman with nidah and others. Then there's also the coming into contact with a dead rodent, touching a dead animal, all these kind of things all got to do with tumor, tumor of childbirth, lots of different impurities. And then there's the tumor, the impurity, um, which happens by coming into contact with a dead body or being in the same room as a dead body, right? That's called tumas mace. Now the interesting thing is that actually in the levels of impurity, coming into contact with a dead body is not the most severe tumor necessarily in terms of halachic implication. I'll give you an example. Um, when the Beis HaMikdush was around, so there was different levels of holiness, right? There were certain parts of Temple Mount Harabais where you weren't allowed to go if you were Tomei, I mean, you weren't allowed to go if you were impure from other impurities, from like purities that come from the body, but you could go if you were Tomei Mace. If you, were, if you come to cover their body, there's no problem, right? Um, even nowadays, there's a whole controversy because nowadays we are all assumed to have the tumor of Tumas Mace, of coming to cover their body because we don't know where we've been and we don't always know where the graves are and so on and so forth. So we're all assumed to have that impurity. And yet some people say that there's certain parts, it's a big, big machlekas, a lot of people don't hold of this, but some people want to say that there's certain parts of Temple Mount that you could go on today. You just need to go to Mikvah first, right? Because you get rid of all the other impurities. And the fact that you are Tomei Mace doesn't matter because there's certain parts you could go on even when you're Tomei Mace. So we see that the tumor of coming into contact with the dead body is not the most severe in terms of halachic implications, yet it's the most difficult one, it's the highest level one in terms of getting rid of it. So in other words, in terms of getting rid of the tumor, every other Tomei, every other tumor, every other impurity can be removed through going to the Mikvah going to the mikvah and then waiting a little bit till the night time and so on. But with Tumas Mace, the only thing that can get rid of the impurity that comes from a dead body is the concept of para atuma, the red heifer which was prepared in a very special way. The solution was made and then the kohen would sprinkle onto the person who was tome over a period of seven days, would sprinkle uh, on the person in the third day and the seventh day and then the person would become tohar. Right? So that's the essence of the paraduma. Now, the way the, the way the Pasuk starts, just go back to the first, the second Pasuk, it says, Zois chukas This is the law, this is the chukah of the Torah. Targum, you know there's a Targum on the Chumash, right? Targum, Targum, Unkelis. Translates it very interestingly, the, the word of Zois chukas um, he translates it as Do gezeras oiraisa. This is the decree of the Torah. Which is an interesting word to use, the word decree. It doesn't say this is the mitzvah of the Torah, this is the law of the Torah. It says, This is the decree of the Torah. I'm just mentioning it because just an interesting connection to Parshat Chukas is found in, fascinating, in the Mogan Avram. The Mogan Avram was one of the 
um, commentaries on Shulchan Aruch, a very famous commentary. And he brings the whole thing in the, in the laws of fasting. We know there were different fast days that were... It's okay, it's okay. Relax. There were different fast days that were um, observed by different people. So, you know, and we have... We have, the, uh, we have the, like the standard fast days that are connected with the destruction of the temple. Like, for example, the 17th of Tammuz is coming up soon. Tisha B'Av, Tzom Gedalia, Tiny Sester. Then we have Yom Kippur, of course, which is the strictest. But then in Shulchan Aruch, there are many other fast days that are mentioned, which common practice is not to do today. But nevertheless, there are many customs of certain fast days that are brought down in Shulchan Aruch, which people used to observe for different reasons. For example, um, we just had one pass not so long ago. Chav Sivan, the 20th of Sivan, is one of the past days, because that was the day that the Jews used to commemorate the uh, massacres, the Chemnitzki uh, programs called Gzeras Tach because it happened over two years, Tav Ches and Tav Tes, and that's why many people uh, observed that as a fast day, not anymore so much, but it was observed as a fast day. Uh, 10th of Nisan was observed as a fast day, because the day Miriam passed away, again this week's Parsha, Miriam passing away, the Nisan. So the Mogan Avram brings down that there was a minhag that some had to fast, not on a date, but on the Friday of Parshas Chukas, this coming Friday. Why? It had to do, a very fascinating thing, it had to do with the, uh, in, 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 six, in 1213, the burning of 20 truckloads of manuscripts, including the Shas. Right? This was all part of the Crusades. So what happened was, that he says, he writes, he writes it like this, he says that on, he brings from an earlier source, he says that on, on the Friday of Prashas Chukas, some people fast, because on that day, 20 wagon loads full of Svarim were, were burnt in, in, in France, right? Um, I forgot which king ordered their, their burning, but it was one of the kings there, right? Now, what's interesting is that that fast day, for those that have a minute to fast, it was not made on the date. It, it, it happened on the 10th and the 9th of Tammuz. But the fast day was not established on the 9th of Tammuz, it was established on the Friday of Prashas Chukas. Why? Because in a sefer called Chemda Gnuza, he brings a letter from Rabbi Hillel of Virna, who was there at the time, and he was a Talmud of Rabbeinu Yoyna, one of the great Rishonim, who lived at that time. And he brings extra details. He says what happened was, that it happened that Friday, Prashas Chukas, they brought, they, 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 they burnt all this for him, and then the... the the Chachamim, the great sages of the time, they did a Kabbalistic thing called Shailas Cholam. They made a, a, like a dream request. Have I ever spoken to you about that? There were, there were great people who used to do this, but they needed like a very difficult answer to something. They'd write some sort of Kabbalistic thing and put it under the pillow and go to sleep. And they receive an answer from Shemaim. There was a, an answer they used to receive. And when they asked, like, how, why did this happen? The response came from the Targum of the first few words of this week's parasha, where it says, Zois chukas this is the law of the Torah, the paraduma, Targum says, dog gezeras oiraisa, that was the gezeira, the decree of the Torah. Hashem decreed it to happen, it was a punishment from Hashem. Right? Now, what was the, what was the gezeira? They didn't explain, the, the, the answer didn't come with the explanation, but it was accepted by many, and apparently by Rabbi Yoyna also, because what happened was, they ended up burning those Svarim, this was done by non-Jews, right, by the Christians, was they burnt the Svarim at the same spot where years earlier they had burnt the manuscripts of the Rambam. I don't know if you know this, that when the Rambam was around, the Rambam was a very controversial person. Nowadays, the Rambam, right? But he wasn't so, he was a Svaradi, but he wasn't so accepted by the Ashkenazi uh, sages at the time. Why? The Rambam was, 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 very, was very revolutionary. Particularly, he wrote... 
what we know now to, to be the Murin of Uchin, the guide to perplexed, right? In which he came up with some very, very novel ideas. They even sent messages to him to find out if he's a real tzaddik, is he, is like real, is he for real, all kinds of things, because it was a difficult thing. He was, it was, it was difficult, right? We have that throughout the ages. We have that we have with the Bashamto, we have the same thing, right? So Rama was undisputably, was, was an unbelievable tzaddik. He did address the perplexed people in his generation in a very novel way, coming up with some very creative explanations in the Murray of Uchin, of course, all based on Torah, but they were very different to what people were used to. And there was a ban on the Rambam while he was alive. I don't know if you know this. There was a ban on the Rambam while he was alive. And they burnt his Sfarim, particularly the Murray of Uchin. Not, not the Christians, the Jews, I'm talking about. Right? They, they burned his Sfarim to show that they're, they're rejecting his Sfarim. And Rabbeinu Yoyna apparently took that as a... I didn't know this until a few days ago, actually. There, because there's a very famous work by Rabbeinu Yoyna called Share Tshuva. The Gates of Tshuva. It's all about how you do Tshuva. And apparently, this only read recently, he wrote this book as a tikkun, like to rectify the fact that they had bought this for him because they understood that this burning of the Shas, which was a terrible decree, was um, sort of a, a punishment for the fact that they had burnt the Svarim of the Rambam. And therefore... I mean, and they understood that it was wrong, and they understood that Rama was in two degrees tzaddik. Anyway, that's that's part of part of Jewish history. But but that's just a very fascinating connection with this week's parsha. The fact that the targum on the first words of the parsha says Zois Chukas he translates it as Dog Zeiras Doiraisa. That's the decree of the Torah. That was the answer they got when it happened on Friday. And because they'd happened on Friday, and because it happened on Friday, Parshas Chukas, and the Parshas Chukas has to do with this response that is Gzeira, That's why the fast day was not established on the ninth of Tammuz which could come out not in Chukas, theoretically, but it, it was made to be on the day that it happened, the day of the week, as opposed to the day of the month, Friday, Parshas Chukas. Anyway, interesting, interesting piece of history. Now, Hashem Shmuel raises a very interesting question about the Parah Duma. He says, why did the Torah wait till now to re- record this, this mitzvah? We know the mitzvah of Parah Duma was done, was given way before, in fact, we know that the mitzvah of Paraduma was given before the giving of the Torah. Because there's a pasuk in Chumash which tells us that the Jews, before they came to the Torah, they camped in a city called Moro. And it says that Shom Somloi, that in Moro they were given Choik u Mishpat. Choik comes to the word Chukim, Mishpat comes to the word Mishpatim. They were given certain Mishpatim, which are the rational mitzvahs, like, like they were given Kibbut Ava'im, honoring parents, and, and mitzvahs like that. They were also given Shabbos, which is, which is part of the, the, also the more, the more on the rational side. And they were given Paraduma. So Paraduma was a mitzvah given before Matan Torah. You, you want to ask him? Was there Shema, something in the Shema? Not Shema, I don't think Shema was given then. No. Something in the paragraphs of Shema about what you're teaching us? Maybe, not sure, I don't know. But, so, Shemishul wants to know if the Paraduma was given even before Matan Torah at, at Morah, so why does the Torah wait to give this mitzvah, to record this mitzvah, at the other end of the whole journey, right? Parshas Chukas is when they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael. We're now coming towards the end of Bamidbar, correct? And in Bamidbar, they're already, in the speaks Parsha area, they're already starting to fight the wars of the neighboring, the neighboring thing, right? The Moyov and Emoiri. They, they're almost there. Then, in, 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 then you're going to have the story of Balak, and then which is next week's Parsha, and then after that you're going to have story of the two and a half tribes, and, and then that's it, and then they're going. Dvarim is already there, about to go into Israel, right? So, this is the end of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, where 40 years later, where Paraduma is, was given even before the Torah was given. So it was a very interesting, a very interesting approach. Now we know that, 
Well, let me, let me, let me give it an order he gives it. So he says like this. And this is the, the part that actually fascinated me, this, this, this explanation. We know that Moshe Rabbeinu, um, when he was first chosen by Hashem to lead the Jewish people, he claimed that he's not fit for the position because he's in a rals for sign. He had a speech impediment. Right, we know that. He said, he said, I'm not a man of words. I'm heavy on the mouth, heavy on the tongue and so on. We also know that actually Moshe Rabbeinu was healed from that speech impediment. You know that? Because when the Torah was given, all Jews were healed, including Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, there's a discussion of the Maharal of Prague. Right? Why Moshe Rabbeinu had a speech impediment? And he says that actually it was not a sign of a deficiency of Moshe Rabbeinu, but the speech impediment that Moshe Rabbeinu had was a sign of his greatness. Why so? So he explains the Maharal goes through a whole explanation that goes like this. That we know that a, p- a person is, is, the human being is given the gift of speech. But the gift of speech has to do with the combination between the neshama and the body. The relationship between the neshama and the body. We know that when Hashem created Adam Arishin, He created out of clay the body of, of, of Adam. Then he blew into his nostrils the neshama of life. By The man became a living soul, which the Targum says became a speaking soul. But it had to do after the neshama was infused into the body of Adam Arishin. Why? Because really, I mean, this Kabbalistically works as well. He doesn't bring this, but, but it's the same idea that Dibur is the idea of Malchus. It's the idea of how the neshama is able to express itself through the physical realm. It's the connection between the neshama and body. It's the, it's the tzimtzum. It's like the, the diluting down of the neshama's expression into a bodily function, which then gives the person the ability to speak physical words and to communicate to other people. It has a very deep source, but it's the way it comes out in the form of speech as opposed to, th- to thought. Is the idea of being able to work with the body and express it and communicate through the physical body. All right? He says, Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama was too high. Moshe Rabbeinu's neshama was so I mean, it's worked out, I've seen this in other places as well. The neshama, Moshe Rabbeinu was so high that his neshama was on the level of machshava, the level of thought, and therefore wasn't able properly to, to relate to his body, which came out, expressed itself, manifested itself in a physical speech impediment that he wasn't able to speak properly. Right? The problem with that explanation is what happened after Matan Torah and Moshe Rabbeinu's Neshama became less holy. Right? So the answer is no, on the contrary. What happened after Matan Torah was every person was elevated through Matan Torah, even the body. Moshe Rabbeinu's body was elevated to a very high level after Matan Torah. And therefore, it wasn't that his Neshama dropped a level, his body was elevated to a much higher level. In which case, his neshama and his body were then able to relate to each other and they were able to, was able to speak properly. Okay. Now, this elevation of the body, which then impacted on Moshe Rabbeinu's general level, says the Shemi Shmuel, is subject to change with time. Explains a whole complicated thing where he says that we know that the physical world is, is governed by space and time, right? And time is one of the frames of reference of physical things. We know that in the spiritual world is above time, right? Because time is like something is new, something's old. So time is very much to do with anything physically subject to the concept of time. So therefore, he says like this: this that we say, 
Moshe Rabbeinu's body was elevated after Matan Torah, it wasn't just a one-time elevation. The Neshama is a constant. The Neshama was always pure, and Moshe Rabbeinu's Neshama was at an incredible level. It's, 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 it's more what happens with the physical body that happens over time and the changes. And therefore, we say that Moshe Rabbeinu's body was, was, was elevated after Matan Torah, that elevation started a journey of elevation which impacted on Moshe Rabbeinu's general, general Madrega, which happened at, which culminated and climaxed, so to speak, at the end of his life. Yeah? Now, how did it culminate at the end of his life? So, you know, the, one of the ideas is that Moshe Rabbeinu, we know that uh, it says in Chazal that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created 50 gates of wisdom, right? Which not everyone could reach. I and mean, we could all have a connection to it. Now, that's like the 49 days of the Sphere Soimer and so on. But really, to get to the 49th level is very special. And only... Moshe Rabbeinu reached the 49th level on his own, and no human being has ever reached the, fifth, the 50th level. Except for Moshe Rabbeinu, but he didn't reach it on his own. Moshe Rabbeinu was given as a gift at the end of his life. Once Moshe Rabbeinu had reached the level of the 49th level of, of, the, of, the, of the Nun Sha'arim, of the 50 gates of, of wisdom and understanding, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him, just, to, just before he passed away, Hashem gave him the 50th gate. Which is why Moshe Rabbeinu in Kabbalah says that Moshe Rabbeinu was buried on Har Nevoi. Right? Har Nevoi. What's Har Nevoi? Nun Beis Vav. Har Nevoi means Nun Boy. Nun is 50. The Nun is in it. Meaning when he got to that level of Har Nevoi, that's when he was gifted with the 50th level. Right? Now the Medrash says, he brings a fascinating Medrash. Right? The Medrash says that the Torah can be also interpreted in 49 ways. And the, then the Medrash connects it specifically with the Pasha of Paraduma. Because in Paraduma, this Pasha, right, it's, it's mentioned the, the seven times seven. It's mentioned, it's based on a positive, it's mentioned the idea of cow seven times and sprinkling seven times and it's mentioned Koyanim seven times. Anyway, seven times seven. And therefore this concept of 49 levels is very, very specifically embedded into the mitzvah of Paraduma. Which explains on one level, we'll talk about other explanations soon, of why the Torah says, this paradumo is what represents the entire Torah. Right? Now, Moshe Rabbeinu, we know, because paradumo is at like the highest, sort of the highest level of Torah, and that's why paradumo doesn't have a rational reason, but we do know that Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem said to him, anim paradumo. I am going to reveal to you the essence of paradumo, right? whether that means a rational reason, or just Moshe Rabbeinu just connected to the Paraduma, whatever that means, we'll talk about it later. But Moshe Rabbeinu was able to reach that sort of, after everything was explained to the Paraduma, Moshe Rabbeinu reached it even higher than Shlomo HaMelech. Says the, says the, says the Shem Ishmuel, that's why Paraduma is here. Because the Paraduma starts off by saying, Hashem said they will bring to you the Paraduma, right? And what does it mean bring to Moshe Rabbeinu? Because he says like this. This is the Pshat now. Moshe Rabbeinu, after Matan Torah, his body was elevated, and therefore his body and soul connected and related to each other, and therefore his dibur, his speech, was healed, right? But then his body began to take a journey, because body is a physical thing, and the physical thing is subject to, to time, and therefore the elevation of the body wasn't just a one-time thing, it took time, over time, to be go from one level to the next. 
when it came just before the end of the life, his life, he reached the 49 levels of, of, of understanding, which is the idea of paraduma. That's where, that's where, Hashem said, now you can have the paraduma, which means now at the end of your life, you have the paraduma, you've now reached this level completely of 49, which makes it now possible for me to, when you pass away, to give you the gift of the 50th, and that's why, explain, that's why, even though the mitzvah of paraduma was given before, but it's recorded over here, because that's got to do with Moshe Rabbeinu's elevation, and how he reached ultimately the 50th, the 50th gate. Okay. While we're on that topic of Yichwe, Lechwa, why it says you take to you, because we take to you, you have to understand, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't a Kohen, right? Uh, the the Paradum was brought to Moshe Rabbeinu, and in fact it says in Rashi that the, that the Paradum, even throughout the ages, was known as Moshe Rabbeinu's Paradum, right? They were all connected to Moshe Rabbeinu's Paradum. By the way, to, to date, there were, four, there were nine Paradumas, right? Most of them in the second temple. And the 10th one, the Ramam says, will happen when Mashiach comes, right? So over history, there was nine paradumas, which obviously it stepped after the second Mishnah went away, it stopped. Um, and, then, and the 10th one will be Mashiach comes. Okay. So this concept that was brought to Moshe Rabbeinu, I saw another Peshat, why it says Eilecha, from a, a, someone by the name of Aaron Yitlash, who was the uh, Rov in Prague at one stage. And he says like this, he says that, we know that the Rashi says, in fact, let's learn the Rashi together, because we're going to talk about it soon again. In number three in your, in your handout, right? Rashi says it's a red cow. Why is it a red cow? I don't, I don't know the Hebrew there. Just read in English. She says, why is, was this right performed with a cow? May be exemplified by a parable. It may be compared to the case of a handmaid's child that defiled the king's palace. Famous Rashi. Right? So there's a maidservant of the king and, 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 the, and the child made a, made a mess. So they said, let the mother come and wipe up the excrement of the child. Right? Similarly here, since they became defiled by a calf, let the mother, tova imo, let the mother come and atone for the calf. Okay. So, which makes it even more difficult. If the paraduma came to atone for the, red, for the golden calf, so what's Moshe Rabbeinu got to do with it? Why the emphasis on Moshe Rabbeinu? So he explains that actually Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need an atonement for the, for the golden calf also. Yeah. What? Did, yeah. Why? So this is an interesting perspective. He says, why did the whole mistake of the, of the, parad, of the paraduma happen? I mean, I'm going to tell you something soon, which is completely the opposite, but so just bear that in mind, because it's different perspectives. Sorry? Oh, so he was late. Okay. Now, why was he late? Because what happened was like this. It says, in the, in the beginning of Paradum, in the, in the Torah portion that deals with the golden calf, it says, The nation saw that Moshe was delayed. The word for delayed there is boishesh, which also can be read as beshesh, in the sixth hour. They knew that Moshe Rabbeinu was due to come in the sixth hour of the day. It's like, like around midday, right? Now, what happened was like this. Moshe Rabbeinu told them when he went up the mountain, he said, I'm coming back. This was the first time Moshe Rabbeinu went up the mountain. He said, I'm coming down 40 days from today in the sixth hour. In 40 days' time. Now, they made a complete mistake. Why? What happened was that they didn't realize that the, you count day one. The day Moshe Rabbeinu went up was not day one. Because when he said 40 days, it meant 40 days that have both a night and a day. The day that Moshe Rabbeinu went up on the mountain didn't have a night. Because he only went up in day. So the night he wasn't up the mountain. So the day, so the day that he went up wasn't counted. Right? So he, he went up, and they thought that was day one. Right? Came the 16th of Tammuz. To them, that was 40th day. And it wasn't for you, it was the next day. Because each day needed a night and a day. Right? Which is why Chazal tell us, he says, 
Wise men always have to be very careful how they word things. Right? But I'm talking about, oh, I'll tell you in a second. The, 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 and therefore, you, give a, you teach something and you have to be very, very careful. You have to detail it exactly. So he says a little bit, Moshe Rabbeinu was, we can say, on his level, was somewhat responsible. Why well, didn't explain that he meant not the first day? As a result, the Jews made the Egel Azov. And as a result, Hashem said, even you need to take the Paraduma, because even you need to have an atonement for the golden calf. I'm going to tell you a little story. I, I, I learned this lesson very early on in, uh, in my uh, rabbinic career. So I, I, was, I was, at that time when I first started, I was giving Shurim in Bet Yosef, which is a Sephardi, Sephardi shul up the road. Um, and I, used, I gave a shir before Purim. And I was talking about Tanis Esther, the fast of Esther. And these were, these were these two were the people that were observant Jews and they were keeping the fast days and all that. So I learned that in Shulchan Aruch it says you have to fast on Tanis Esther. And then when you finish the, the fast, you daven myriv. But then, really the fast is over, but you're not supposed to eat until after the Megillah. That's what it says, right? If you, can, if you can help it. But it says there that if you're really hungry and you want to be able to listen to the Megillah properly, it's okay to have like a, a small thing, like a small snack or a cup of tea. So I said, you know, you can have a cup of tea before the Megillah. Okay, and that's what it says in Shulchan Aruch. So one guy, one uh, all the Sephardic guy says, Rabbi, I never do that. That's amazing. Okay. So I said, that's very good. And I said, yeah, if you feel that way, it's okay to have a quick... Anyway, we, come, we gather in shul for Mincha. Now, Mincha is like about an hour before the fast even ends, right? He walks into the shul, he says, Rabbi, that was fantastic. I said, what was fantastic? He says, the tea. So what are you talking about? He says, didn't you say that if it's going to be hard to listen to Megillah, we can have a tea before the Megillah? So he misunderstood it. He, 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 but him, I understood what happened afterwards. What happened was, he didn't see any time between Mariv and Megillah to have a snack, which there isn't in most shuls, because you don't Mariv, you go straight to the Megillah, Right? I was just reading what it says in Shulchan Aruch. Now, so he thought in his mind he meant before he comes to Shul. When you come to Shul, you come to Shul for Mincha. So he ate before he came to Mincha. Because I said, you can have a tea before the Megillah if you, if you eat. But the fast wasn't over yet. Right? So that's when I learned. I learned very quickly that when you teach Halakha, you have to be, try and be as clear as possible so that you don't, that people can make mistakes. So there's a similar idea. It's a similar sort of story. Okay. Now, on this Rashi, I want to share with you a beautiful idea that I saw in Shvile Pinchas, which is a, a journal I get every week. I've shared stuff from him before. And he said, what's this idea that we learned in Rashi? That the mother must come and clean up the mess of the child. What is that supposed to mean? What does that symbolize? Right? Like how? The, 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 I mean, in the, you know, it's, it sounds like a nice parable. It sounds like a nice analogy. Certain was the golden calf. So therefore, you've got to bring a mother... And let the mother clean up the mess of the child. So what does that mean? Like, what, what is that? How is, how is the, the cow a tikkun for the Jews, Avera, bring a golden calf, right? So he brings a very fascinating insight. He says like this, which is a little bit, we said before, a little bit now, puts the responsibility back on the Jews. Not, not, not so much on Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says, what's this idea of, of the mother? So he says, he brings a Ramban. The Ramban says a very fascinating thing. He says, the Parah Aduma, now you know when the Ramban wrote a Pirush on Chumbif, but he also was a great Kabbalist. The Parah Aduma, the red cow, he says, is a symbol of Gevura. And therefore, it's a symbol of Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah. How so? Just to explain that a bit. So the Ramban says that the cow is red, right? You know, red is a color of Gevura, we know that. White is a color of Chesed, red is a color of Gevura. Right? 
because the, because the cow was Gevura, that's why it symbolizes the idea of Torah Shabal Peh. Torah Shabal Peh is what we call Midas Hadin. Now, what that means like that, in other words, the Chumash is like the white, the Chumash is like the gift of the Torah, that's Chesed. But Torah Shabal Peh is Gevura. Why is it Gevura? For many reasons. One reason is because it's, it splits heads. In other words, it needs to take every halacha and break it down. You know, breaking it down is the idea of Gevura. It's the idea of Tzimtzum, breaking it down, analyzing it, putting it into a box. All the, all the decrees, all the gezeros, all, all, the, all the things, all the preventative for, um, boundaries that were put onto us all come from the Torah Shabbat Peh, right? So therefore the Torah Shabbat Peh, we're talking about good Gevura, but it's, it's, it's the concept of self-control. It's, so when you learn Chumash, you just learn about the mitzvahs, so it's all nice mitzvahs, you, you, you know what you have to do, but it's not, it's not to the letter of the law, it's not with all the boundaries, not with all the gezeros and the decrees, and therefore Torah Shabbat Peh is the concept of Gevura, right? Now, and therefore, he also says the, 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 the Ramban says that's why also says in Shulchan Aruch in uh, in Pirkavos, I mean uh, it says that Chachamim what, what I told you before that Chachamim have to be very careful what they say because says the words of the sages are like fire and if you're not careful they can consume and they can burn all these sort of gevura expressions are used about the sages of the Talmud because actually the Torah Shabbat Peh is a gevura experience right now if that's the case what does it mean? that the Paraduma is an atonement for the, for the golden calf. This explains a very beautiful idea. What happened with the golden calf? The golden calf was exactly this. They didn't go into the Torah Shabbat Peh. Moshe Rabbeinu told them the Pasuk. The Pasuk was, I'm coming back in 40 days. That was the Pasuk, it was the word of God. A little bit different than what we said before, but yeah, right? In 40 days time, I'm coming back. They took it literally. 40 days come. And, then, and the Moshe is not coming back. What was missing? What was missing was the Amunas Chachamim. The belief in the Chachamim. You didn't understand what Moshe Rabbeinu said. You didn't understand the word of God. You didn't understand the Pasuk that he told you. Well then you've got to work harder. There's a, there's a, obviously what he told you is absolutely true. That's part of the Amunah. That's part of the whole... Belief in Torah, that it's axiomatic, it's completely true, it's the word of God. You don't understand it, doesn't give you a right to reinterpret it. So you've interpreted it wrong. Now go and learn. Go and delve, go and deep. Understand what's the Torah, what's the oral Torah of this Pasuk. Now of course the oral Torah of this Pasuk is a typical oral Torah. That Moshe Rabbeinu said it's 40 days, the days are days and nights, it has to be a combination, day and night. That's a Torah idea. That's a process of Torah Shabbat It sounds like a typical piece of Gemara where you, the day is compared to the other days, just like the other days have nights and day, this also has nights and day, and so on and so forth, right? Which, by the way, is interesting because night and day also has to do with Torah Shabbat Peh, Torah Shabbat Because it says that when Moshe Rabbeinu was on the, on the mountain, what did he do when he was on the mountain? It says during the day he learned Torah Shabbat because that's Chesed. Night is Gevura. During the night he learned Torah Shabbat Peh, which why the Gemara says actually that the best time to learn Torah Shabbat is nighttime. Right? The idea of learning Torah at night is a very, very special time. Because that's especially Torah Shabbat Peh. In fact, this idea, particularly the first half of the night, when people stay away from Torah Shabbat Peh, like they don't say Tehillim, or even Chumash, they don't learn, because night, night is Gevura. So what do you do at night? You learn Torah Shabbat Peh. Right? That doesn't mean you can't learn Chumash at night, but I'm saying the, the emphasis of it. So therefore, what do they do? They, they messed up in the whole approach to Torah Shabbat Peh. That was the sin of the Egel Azov. Which fits very nicely in what the Ramban says. Because now we understand. They messed up in the whole idea of Torah Shabbat. So Tovei, let the mother come. What's the mother? 
You know, it says, Shema B'ni Musara. So King Solomon says, listen my son to the rebuke of your father and do not leave the teachings of your mother. So we know that father and mother is Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Because for many reasons, first of all, Mashpia and Makabal, giving and receiving is male and female. Chesed and Gevur is also male and female. Right? Yeah, Aaron tried his best, but he, he, but he didn't manage to. Aaron tried to delay them. Aaron did believe. Aaron knew that Moshe made a said he said. But he saw a mob. He saw, he said, there's no way he's male to reason with his people. So he tried. That was the whole thing with Aaron. He, I mean, that's another story of the, of the Egel Azov. Aaron tried to get them to go and ask their wives for, for jewelry, hoping that they wouldn't want to give it, which they didn't want to give it, but they went and took their own jewelry. Right? Interesting, by the way, that the women didn't sin in the Egel Azov. I just realized this now. He didn't say this, but actually it's interesting. Because the women are connected to Rosh Pape in a way more than, more than the men, right? They're a munna in Torah as well. So therefore, because it's a female thing, Torah it's receiving, it's gevura, and so on, right? Start giving, giving is more chesed, receiving is more taking inward. So the gevura, the femininity, and so on and so forth. So, so that's, that's the pshat when he says, imo, let the mother come and atone for the eglas of, fix up the dirt of the son. Meaning the son didn't believe in Torah Shabbat now you have to make a tikkun. And what is it? So therefore the Torah says you've got to take, you've got to make the gvura good now. You have to have good gvura. So you've got to, therefore you've got to take the, the paraduma, which says the paraduma is aduma, it's, it's red. It's also tamimo, the idea of tomim, perfection, purity, which is more the idea of chesed, because you know Avram Avinu was referred to as tamim, right? And combine the chesed and the gavur, you've got to connect the Torah Shabbat with the Torah Shabbat The written Torah and the oral Torah, you've got to make them sure that they work together. Excuse me, you have to have the real amun and the real faith with, with, with what it is. It's a very, very important idea, this, by the way. Particularly when it comes to the way things are done nowadays, where there's a very big shift towards, even among sometimes, and unfortunately, sort of observant people, to misunderstand that Torah Shabbat works. In other words, like this. Torah Shabbat is a very, in one hand, is a very rational learning. It's an academic subject. You need to understand it, right? That's a lot of Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat is more the axioms, it's, it's the psukim. But Torah Shabbat is the rabbis of the Talmud asking questions, interpreting the psukim, using the rules that Hashem gave us, and so on and so forth. But we have to understand that when we learn Torah Shabbat it's, it's based on a munna, that the Torah Shabbat has to be connected to Torah Shabbat And therefore, it's got to be connected to the truth of Torah Shabbat You can't make it your own stuff, right? can say, well, you know, uh, and also it has a whole spiritual, godly, super-rational thing to it as well, which some people often miss. The Torah, the wisdom of the Torah, even the wisdom of the Torah, Torah Shabbat is a godly wisdom. It's a wisdom which we only were gifted to be able to understand and properly internalize. Therefore, when we learn a piece of Gemara, it's not like, you know, Rabbi Huda and the Gemara says this, but I don't understand what he says, so I'm going to offer up a different interpretation to the Pasuk. It doesn't work like that, right? If Rabbi Huda says this in the Gemara, it's Torah, it's part of Torah, we have to... Break our heads to try and understand it. Look in the commentaries. Make sure we, 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 we internalize it. We have to take it as, as this is part of Torah and it's eternal as well as, as, as much as the Torah Shabbat Shabbat is, which is a mistake the Jews made. The Jews made that they misunderstood Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, oh, okay, so then obviously the Pshat was different. We'll make up our own Pshat. The Pshat is supposed to come today. He didn't come today. He must have died. Never. We're going to make an Egel Azov. Right? Completely wrong. They, they, they forgot the Torah Shabbat leads leads the charge. That's the Chesed. Our Torah must fit into the Pasuk, not the other way around. And therefore, we've got to now break our heads and make sure we understand it properly. If we, if we don't come to the right conclusion, we've got to, we obviously made a mistake. Let's, let, let, let's, let's do this again and try and re-understand that. So that's all part of the Egel Azov. And that's why the symbolism of the idea of 
Tova Imo, let the mother come and, and clean it up, right? Now, this actually, this idea of the right approach to Torah Shabbat Peh and the Amunah, the faith that we have in understanding Torah Shabbat Peh and so on, is actually very much connected to another explanation on the first part of the Pasuk. Now we know, if you look just back at the Pasuk, it says, famous, a famous expression, where the Torah introduces Paraduma by saying, Zois Chukas HaTorah. This is the Chukah, this is the statute of the Torah, right? And the famous idea is, why does it say Zois Chukas HaTorah and not Zois Chukas HaParah? This is the Chuk of the Paraduma. It seems to be saying this is the mitzvah of the entire Torah, right? Okay. Now we know that, just starting from the, from the bottom up, we know that the Torah is divided into three parts, Chukim, Eidus and Mishpatim, the mitzvahs that are above reason, the mitzvahs that are rational, but we need the Torah to explain us the reason, and then the rational mitzvahs like Mishpatim, like the laws of theft and murder and so on and so forth, right? There are four mitzvahs which are, the Medrash says, are particularly difficult chukim, because it's interesting that it's not just paraduma, but the, the, uh, the, um, the Medrash brings four mitzvahs, which are problematic chukim, although it's not just, we don't know the reason, but they sort of have an inconsistency with them and an illogical sort of aspect to them. And they are, I'll just tell you what they are, it's interesting, it's, it's, it's the chukah of not, the, for, the forbidden relationship in marrying, uh, the Torah doesn't say why, when, someone, when someone's brother marries someone and the brother dies, the brother's not allowed to marry his widow. You can't marry you, even your widowed, a person's widowed sister-in-law, right? And it's considered one of the really forbidden relationships and it's a very, very severe isur. It's a severe transgression. Yet, sometimes it becomes mutter, it's okay. In the case of Yibum. So if the, the brother died without children, then it's not only okay to marry the sister-in-law, the Torah says actually a mitzvah. And if you don't do the mitzvah, you need to have chalitza to break that, um, that you know, connection. We don't, we don't do it today, Yibum, we only have chalitza. Okay, that's a separate discussion, but that's the mitzvah of the Torah. So it's almost contradictory. Then, the, then it says, kilayim, not having wool and linen together, but yet if you wear tzitzis, theoretically you're allowed to wear wool and linen together. Soir hamishtaleach, the goat that was sent away to be uh, off the cliff on Yom Kippur, so the whole idea of that God was to atone for all of the sins of the Jewish people. And yet it says the person who carries that goat to go and throw him off the cliff, it becomes impure, becomes Tomei, and has to go to Mikvah afterwards. So here he's carrying a goat, which is carrying the sins of the whole Jewish people, and atoning and purifying the entire Jewish nation, and yet he becomes Tomei. And then of course, Paraduma is the same thing. Paraduma, we don't know the reason. It also carries a similar contradiction, because it's, it purifies the most severe and strict impurity, and yet the Torah says that the person who prepared the paraduma has to go to mikvah afterwards, and he's tomei. So it says it's matayres atmeim. It purifies those that are impure, and it impurifies those that are that, those that were pure. Okay, so that's what we're Having so those are four particularly difficult chokim. Having said that, however, we know that paraduma is the ultimate chok. Why is it the ultimate chok? Because it's the only one that even Shlomo Hamelach couldn't work out. Right? Even Shlomo Hamelach couldn't work out. Shlomo Melech said, Amarti Achak, when I was like this, Shlomo Melech understood that all the, re- all the chukim have reasons. Just we don't know what they are. But because Shlomo Melech was so smart and his wisdom was above everyone else's, he had a special bracha from Hashem for a particularly type of wisdom, a deep type of wisdom, a very, very transcendent type of wisdom. So he was able to work out the reasons for all the chukim. Right? That's what Shlomo Melech said. But he said when he came to Paraduma, there's a, pasuk, a famous pasuk, Shlomo Melech said, 
Amarti achakbo. I said I was smart, I was clever, but this mitzvah remains distant from me. I cannot work it out. You don't have to work at all, the money can work this one out. And the question is why? Right? And again, also the question is why does it say with this thing, Zois chukas hatoira? This is the chuk of the Torah. So, in a, in, a, in a talk that the Rebbe gave, a very interesting talk, in 1929, sorry, 1969, I should say, um, he gave a very, very deep idea about this based on what it says in Hasidic teachings and so on. And it highlights a very interesting approach to how we keep mitzvahs all together, right? So we know that mitzvahs, are known as the Ratzayin Hashem, the will of Hashem. What does that mean, the will of Hashem? So he explains the concept like this, that in fact, all mitzvahs are chukim. All mitzvahs are chukim. Yeah, what does that mean? Ah, we know the reason for that, right? So we are taught, what does it mean all mitzvahs are chukim? That even though many mitzvahs we have reasons for, not only we have reasons, but we're supposed to have the reasons, and we're supposed to learn the reasons, and, and so on and so forth. But we're never supposed to keep a mitzvah because of its reason. We're supposed to keep a mitzvah because Hashem said so. Now, why is that? In other words, what does that mean? We've said this point many times, I want to just take it a, dip, a step deeper. What does it mean that we're supposed to keep it not because of its reason? One way to understand it is, well, it's got a reason, we're just not supposed to keep it because of the reason. So it's like, you could say it's like a child listening to a father, right? The father has a reason, he gives the child an instruction, the father has a reason. Maybe it's the reason he can't explain to the child. The child's supposed to believe, well, there is a reason. I've got to be obedient and do what my father says. Right? That's, that's uh, now, what will be the benefit of that? What's the benefit of doing that? The benefit of doing that is understanding the limitation of our own intellect, understanding that there is a reason, understanding that we don't keep it because of its reason. So, which means, number one, we, we will keep it, we'll, we'll keep it because Hashem knows why, and there's a reason. And we won't try and manipulate, we won't try and say, well, it's difficult this time, so maybe I'll, I'll spend the reason, I do understand the reason maybe, but maybe in this case it's different. So we know, no, Hashem is our father, tells us what to do, and we just listen. Okay. But it's not that, it's much deeper than that. What's well, much deeper than that? Now, this, is, this is a difficult idea to understand, because it's difficult to explain this in human terms. Not only do we have to keep a mitzvah because, it, because not because of the reason, we have to understand that the origin of all mitzvahs is they don't have a reason. What does that mean? Why would Hashem tell us this one without a reason? So the only way to give an analogy for this by human being, because we, we have lots of, every person has this concept of a rutz and a will, right? And sometimes you want things that are very strong. For example, there are certain innate, innate desires that every human being has. Every human being wants a roof over their head, for example, right? Now, really, that's a very deep reason, and a person will go to length to, to, to achieve that. But the truth is, deep down, it has a reason, because it's protection, right? That's the reason. Where do you see an example of a, 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 a rutzen, a, a, a will, that has no reason? Right? Because now, a lot of people want things that are totally irrational or destructive or stupid, but they've got a reason. They, they can rationalize it, right? So the reason is wrong. The reason is a stupid reason, but they still got a reason. But you do find this... And again, it's a, it's a bad analogy, but it's the only analogy we have in the human, the human context. We find a little child, for example, right? Sometimes the one thing that has no reason. It's just, it's just, they've decided this the way it is. Like, 
a child will, let's say, want, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like a child will want, uh, I don't know, the food to be on a plate in a certain way. Right? And you can give them a better plate, a better food. No, this is the way it's got to be. Or they want a toy to be put, placed in a certain way. Or they want a certain toy. You can say, no, but you know, I don't have this toy. I'm going to give you a much better toy. And he knows it's a much better toy. He could even be at the, he's not, he wants this one. Right? In other words, that's a dogma. It's an example of a, a rutzen, a desire. Which, by the way, the power of desire is very strong. We, we, the Chazal tell us that the, one of the highest qualities of the person is rutzen. You know, we have, we have the ten powers of the soul. Those are conscious reasons. But the, what lives in the subconscious, what drives the soul is the idea of ratzon, the idea of strong desire, right? When something comes, when I do something because I worked out it's a good thing to do, but I don't really want to do it, that's one thing. But if I really want to do something, the power of ratzon is very strong and it says, there's nothing that stands in the way of a person's strong will, right? So with a child, you can have something, the child says, this is what I wanted to do, and that's it, you can stand your head, bring him something better, bribe him with something, no, he wants it this way, right? The reason that's a bad example is because by a child, that ruts and that will that the child has to do this, to do whatever he wants to do, is what we call it's lower than rationale, not higher than rationale, right? It's just a rutzen. so it's a, it's, it's a very strong sub- subconscious impulse, but it's lower than logic. But Hashem, Hashem's rutzen, when Hashem wants something, He doesn't always want something because of a reason. He wants something because it's an expression of Him. You see. The real expression of Ratzon is, in, in Kabbalah, Ratzon is called Hatoyas Hanefesh. It's the soul being attracted to something, right? Seichel, intellect, rationale, Hashem is not defined by rationale. The mitzvahs are 613 expressions of the depth of Hashem. So therefore, when Hashem gave us the mitzvahs, the origin of all mitzvahs, are the Ratzon of Hashem. How the Ratzon of Hashem remains transcendent and higher than the concept of reason. It's just Him. You do a mitzvah, you connect to Hashem because that's Him. That's an expression of Him. Now what Hashem decided was, this is a deep idea, but but, what Hashem decided was that some mitzvahs He would allow to evolve into a reason. So this is a very, it's almost a hard thing to come to terms with. In other words, the reason that you're not allowed to steal is not because it's irrational. It's, 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 because not, it's not because it's ineffective to steal. That's, that, that, that's not the reason. That is the reason, but that's not the origin of the mitzvah. The reason that we keep a mitzvah, and that's should be our attitude. The reason that we don't steal is because our job is to serve God. God said not to steal, so I'm not stealing. He said not to kill, I don't kill. I don't kill because, because I want me to populate the world if I kill? No. Because it's evil to kill? Yeah, it's evil because Hashem said not to kill, that's why. Now, obviously, that's hard to come to terms with because obviously, well, who would kill? Kill is a very bad thing to do. It takes away life, it destroys the world. Yes, that is a true reason. That's a reason that Hashem allowed the mitzvah of not to kill to evolve into. Understand? Those are some mitzvahs. Some mitzvahs are allowed to evolve into higher reasons. Reasons that we couldn't work out on our own, but we can understand once we give it them. Again, but that's just a different type of reason. Some mitzvahs are chukim that Hashem evolved, allowed to evolve into reasons which are beyond human logic, but they, in Hashem's world, it's, it's, it's logical. 
Those are all the other chukim. Shlomo HaMelech was able to reach those. We can't. There's one mitzvah, according to many explanations in Kabbalah, that Hashem left without a reason. And that's Paradoma. Paradoma. Comes along the Torah and says, I'm giving you this one mitzvah. So you should understand the reason why I left one mitzvah like that. Because Hashem put all the other mitzvahs into a reason. Because, because we know there's a great benefit in understanding the mitzvahs. So we have this discussion many times. Because there's a benefit in, in, in not understanding, there's a benefit in understanding. Okay. But there's one mitzvah Hashem leaves without any understanding because, as the Torah says, now we can understand the word. Because Zoyis Chukas HaToyro. This is actually the meaning of the whole Torah. The whole Torah is like Paradigm. The whole Torah doesn't have a reason. Now the mitzvahs are allowed to evolve the reason. But you should, under, you should look at this mitzvah. If you want to know how to perform the rest of the Torah, you should understand that it's above reason. Now, what's, what's the benefit of this? Benefit of this is our commitment to, to Torah. Once you, once you learn Torah this way, once you observe Torah this way, I should say, if that's the foundation of how we observe Torah, that not only we're doing it because we don't know the reason, but actually we're doing it because there is no reason. It's just Hashem. Then number one, it means that there's no difference between one mitzvah and another. That we, we grow into try and keep all the mitzvahs. Because actually there's no difference. What's the difference between one mitzvah and another? They're all expressions of Hashem. <laughs> right? This one doesn't seem as important as the other one. No, Pirkova says you can't do that. Because they're all... Now, of course, when a person is growing, of course there's priorities and there's stages because the, Hashem allowed it to evolve in such a structure. But in essence, our attitude should be every mitzvah is exactly the same. Number one. Number two, our commitment. The idea which we find called serving Hashem b'chol mo'edecha, serving Hashem with mysterious nefesh. To, to commit to the point of giving up a life mitzvahs. Why? Because if we don't have this perspective, why should we? If we, if we, if we think there's a reason, well, maybe, you know, maybe the reason doesn't apply in this circumstance. So maybe. You know. <laughs> this looks like a kind of situation where the mitzvah doesn't apply. It's too hard. I'm sure Hashem wouldn't mind in this case. We're under the mitzvah. No, Fayyid comes and he says, the mitzvah is Hashem, so we have to keep every mitzvah every time. Unless Torah itself says that in certain circumstances you're not supposed to keep it. That's a separate issue, right? Which is also interesting. Like, the reason that we break mitzvahs in order to save lives, for example, is not because we worked out that life is more important, because Hashem says so. Because Torah says so. Otherwise, it wouldn't, right? We can understand how the Gemara has to battle to understand why we're allowed to break Shabbos to, 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 to save a person's life. What do you mean? It seems, seems a logical thing to do. No, it's not a logical thing because if Hashem gave us a mitzvah, we have to keep them. It doesn't matter at what cost. Hashem says that we have to do that. That's what we do. The Torah himself says so. Right? So that's why it says, This is the chukah of the Torah because this is the chukah which is the essence that teaches us how to understand and keep and observe the entire Torah. Okay? Okay.